With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Hi, welcome back to Heard Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us wherever you are across the street around the world. Appreciate you being here. We'll try to turn down the noise of the news cycle a little bit. Also have some fun. We got one story in particular. It's a little different, but this is the week between holidays. We get to do a little different things here. Still try to focus on things that matter. Skip the things that don't. Try to do our best to discern the times we live in. I want to start right there with that statement. I say it on purpose. Um, I get things right. I get things wrong. Uh, Occasionally over at Ordinary Times, I used to write a column about things that I got wrong. I uh, haven't been doing as much writing. Maybe I had to bust one of those out, but I get things wrong all the time. The point isn't trying to be always right. It's trying to find the truth. It's trying to understand what's going on. So when we get something wrong, we just come out and say we get it wrong. Or if we get it right, we come out and say we got it right and try not to gloat about it too much. Although sometimes you have to have a little bit of fun. Let's be honest here. I say all that to get to this point. Sometimes you take some criticism and that's fine. Look, I do things like Twitter and the show and other things using my real name. You get my face, you get my opinions. I write, I do media, I do other media hits, I do TV hits, I do radio hits. I put my stuff out there. You can criticize it. I signed up for that. You get a certain amount of mess when you do what I do. And that's fine. God bless. I love freedom of speech. I love freedom of expression. As long as you don't threaten to kill or burn down my house or attack my children or whatever, although that's happened a time or two, God bless. Have fun. Have your own show. Bring your own opinion. Heck, you got a descending opinion about something I wrote? Send it to me. Might even run it if it's written up pretty well. We might help you run it. I've actually done that, by the way. Somebody said, well, I didn't like your opinion. I said, write it up. Send it to me. They were shocked. And I posted it and published it. I'm not against dissenting opinions. But I got a little pushback on something, so I want to address it. Let's go out to Arizona. Carrie Lake, who ran for governor and lost, yes, she lost, uh, once again had her court case thrown out right before Christmas, so you might have missed it in the thing. I'm going to condense a couple things because here's how this argument goes. The people that are absolutely convinced that every election they lost is stolen will get down into the minutia of something and, oh, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Okay, it went to court. All right. Carrie Lake brought 10 counts. Eight of them were so weak, they didn't even make it to a hearing. And the other two made it into a hearing and barely lasted that long before they were all found to be utterly frivolous and ridiculous. Here's where I go back to that first part I tell you. I don't just sit here and say stuff for the fun of it. Things like this, I've read through the court documents. I've watched most of the relevant testimony. I've talked to people there. I reach out to folks. When I talk about stuff in Congress, Most of the time, I'll reach out to one of our friends that cover Congress or some other source that knows what they're talking about, and I try to talk to them. I read as much as I can. I don't just sit here and spout off. With this Carrie Lake stuff, I read the documents. You can read them yourself. It's all in PDF format. It's all free. You can find it. Something we do at Ordinary Times, we put a lot of these rulings out. Read the documents for themselves. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand it. Matter of fact, I can read you part of the findings right now. They're little one-word sentences. Look at this. The court does not find clear and convincing evidence of misconduct in violation of, and it has the criminal code, the court does not find clear and convincing evidence that such misconduct was committed by, quote, an officer or making particular participating in a canvas. The court does not find clear and convincing evidence that such misconduct was intended to affect the result of the 2022 general election. The court does not find clear and convincing evidence that the, such misconduct did, in fact, affect the result. The court does not find clear and convincing evidence of misconduct on and on and on. That's not legalese. That's not hard to understand. It's not hard to understand that most of these things got thrown out. It's not hard to understand the timing of these, by the way, that the things, why they bring them after the certification happened when they know that it's not going to get overthrown because they need to do that for their fundraising reasons and to keep their profiles high. What do we say all the time? Actions, not words. Now, this is so bad that the folks that are or the defendants here are actually asking for sanctions against the lawyers that brought it. I've talked to a couple of legal experts. They think that's probably too harsh and overbearing, and they may not get that. This is not like the Sidney Powell situation where it was so bad that everybody involved is probably going to be railroaded out of the legal 
profession. This isn't that bad as what I've been told, but we'll see. Maybe they'll sanction them, but it sounds like they probably won't be. The case in point here is there was no election fraud here. There's some isolated cases like there always was. The reason Carrie Lake lost is because she lost. There's been some really good reporting on this. Here's the thing. You don't need it. You can go off what she did herself. Don't tell John McCain Republicans, don't come vote for me in a state John McCain won over and over again. Don't start putting together your administration before you finished out your campaign and get your hubris going, like has been now widely reported. Carrie Lake underperformed Donald Trump, not because the ballots got tampered with or because the election was rigged, but because she turned off a bunch of people in a very purple state. She could have ran a better campaign. She could have ran a little bit more moderately. She could have turned it down a little bit. She decided to not to. And she lost to, frankly, not a very good candidate in Katie Hobbs. She didn't run a good campaign at all. You couldn't even find her. She didn't debate. She disappeared. She wasn't good on TV when she was on TV. That's not an indictment that Carrie Lake was cheated. It's an indictment that Carrie Lake wasn't a very good candidate. Sorry, run better candidates. It goes for you, Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz. What do you think was going to happen? Mastriano for governor in a state like Pennsylvania with the history it has and the electorate that it has? What did you think was going to happen? You have to run better candidates. So you can go ahead and crow about people cheating on mail-in ballots and all this. Listen, well, this got said under oath and testimony. Yes, it also got cross-examined. Did you listen to that clip too, or did you just believe something that somebody on Twitter said? I did. Go listen to it. There was no compelling testimony that anything untoward here happened. There was some incompetence. There were some people that probably shouldn't be in the jobs they are. But no, they didn't rig an election against you. Don't just listen to that Internet clip. Don't just listen to that Twitter thread. Read through it. Testimony has two sides. It has the testimony and the cross-examine. You need to listen to the both sides of that before you make a decision. Yes, there's probably a couple people in here that's going to be in real trouble afterwards, like we've seen in some other elections. But this election denial nonsense needs to stop because what's going to happen is we're going to really have some election shenanigans. We're going to really have somebody try to steal an election and they may get away with it because we've been crying wolf so much on every single election. That's both sides, by the way. I was there. I remember when Trump won and our Democratic friends went off on a tangent about how obviously it was stolen. Everybody's got dirty hands here. We all need to stop it. Now you can go ahead and accuse me of both sides, but I'll stop doing it when both sides stop doing it. Our election integrity is important, but you're not acting like it's important if you just keep howling about how elections are rigged when you lose one. We need to take this seriously. We need to stick to the facts on the ground. Don't just listen to that person on Twitter or that personality you like. Go do your own research. Read up on it. Read the court documents. Read what really happened. Get you a rotation of good reporters that know what they're talking about. Especially these kind of elections. There's people in every state that are experts in what they're doing. Make sure you're following them. Turn down the noise. Get to the truth. And the truth is, Carrie Lake lost. And she only has Carrie Lake to blame for it. Everything else is noise. More hotel right after this. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Uh, welcome back to Hurt Tell. Two headlines in the Washington Post that are both trending items, and they completely go together. The first headline, Republicans making moves towards entering 2024 primary against Trump. Uh-huh. The other headline that is related, hitting back at Trump, Biden gears up for more clashes with the GOP. Now, of course, this is all about 2024. Yes, we're already in the next election 
cycle. I hope you enjoyed the midterms. Let's get on to 2024. See, there's narratives to be had and there's newspapers to sell and clicks to be had and coverage has got to be gone. And we got to write stories, folks, keep this political machine going. So we got to get right into the next campaign. President Biden, yes, skip all that noise. He's running for re-election set unless something, God forbid, happens to him personally. He's going to run for re-election. And as we've covered on this program before, if you're a Democrat, he's your best chance to win by far. It's not particularly close, so just accept it and push on and enjoy it. Now, here's the thing about these two headlines going together is all this depends on who you want to see run, who you want to see win, and how you do it. They're both well-written pieces. I'm not criticizing. I'm not even criticizing coverage. I just want to talk big picture for a minute about what we're going to be doing for the next two years now. It's all going to be horse race. We have to hurry up and get to the 1v1 races or the 1v1 races in the primary, since Biden's going to go unopposed on the Republican side. We got to get to these 1v1 races because that's what sells the contest, the contest of ideas. Now, the one problem with all these GOP people running is the people that are running are already running. Just pay attention. Did they just put a book out? Are they doing media tours? Do they already have staffs? Those are easy enough to find out. Have they filed paperwork for their fundraising stuff? Not not words, actions. You can look all this stuff up yourself. If they've already got the paperwork for their campaigns to fundraise, they're running. If they did a book tour that is talking about how wonderful a leader they are, they're running. If they're doing a media tour, they're running. Now, they may not have declared yet, and they may bail out before we ever get anywhere near the first primaries, but they're running. Just watch their actions, not their words. Same thing here with this Biden piece, though. It's something we have talked about before on this program, and you need to pay very close attention to. The Joe Biden presidency for the next two years is not the Joe Biden presidency of the last two years. Last two years, they had nominally control over the Senate, 50-50 Senate with the tie-breaking vote with Vice President Harris, and they had the House under Speaker Pelosi and, of course, President Biden. And they got a lot of things done. They got some uh, legislation through that, frankly, surprised a lot of people. But for all intents and purposes, the Democrats had themselves a pretty good legislative run there. Now the Republicans are taking over the House coming up. This is going to be a problem. Now, the other thing going on is the Democrats not only have the majority in the Senate, and yes, I know Cinema went independent, but there was obviously a deal struck there because she kept her committee assignments. Her and Schumer are fine. She'll go off the reservation here and there, but she's still going to mostly vote for the Democrats to just settle down a little bit. They have a 51-seat majority, even though it's 50-50 now, but they get not just the committee chairmanships now. They'll actually have majorities on those seats. That's a very important thing. So going forward, here's the dynamic. You're going to have a GOP-controlled Congress that's already announced they're going to do a lot of, quote-unquote, revenge hearings. They're going to do a lot of the Hunter Biden stuff. They're going to go over President Biden after anything they can get their hands on. They're probably not going to be able to legislate a whole lot because the Senate, as we just mentioned, is already in hands. And that leaves President Biden in a different position. It's not his fault now because his party doesn't control everything. He now gets to run against a GOP-controlled House. And let's be frank here, this GOP-controlled House is going to be an absolute circus. They can't even get the Kevin McCarthy speakership thing wrapped up in due course as we still sit here waiting on that to happen. It's a mess, and it's going to be a continuing mess. That caucus is not going to be controllable, especially by somebody like Kevin McCarthy, who's not respected, not well-liked, and hasn't really shown any particular aptitude at the job for that matter. Then we have the whole Trump sphere out there and what might happen with that. Plus, we have all the other people running for president on the GOP side. Plus, you're probably going to have another couple senators jump in there somewhere. This is going to be a very different dynamic than the last two years. There's two things politically that could have really helped the 2024 reelection bid of Joe Biden. And one of them just happened. The GOP takes the House. That sounds a little counterintuitive, but think about it. He now has somebody to run against. He has a foil. He can blame them for nothing getting passed for the next couple of years. They're going to fight him constantly. It's going to solidify his base. It's going to help his fundraising. And he's going to have a foil to work off of as he builds his campaign for 2024. That's the second best thing that could possibly happen to him. The number one thing, if Trump's the nominee, we're going to have to wait a little while to see how that one plays out. But right now, if you're President Biden, all things considered, your 2024 run, feeling pretty good right now and see how it shakes out. 
Now, as far as that GOP primary and how that's going to go, there has been some movement on certain things. Don't just get caught up in the noise. Who's filing paperwork? Who, like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, all of a sudden started running national ads on Google and other online platforms here in the last few days? Who's raising their national profile? Who's writing books? Who's doing speeches? Who's going on shows? That tells you who's really running. Turn down the noise. Don't get caught up in who's running and who's not. They'll tell you through their actions. And turn down the horse race stuff a little bit and pay attention to what's really going on. We've got two years of this, folks. Pace yourselves. Don't get wrapped up in it just right now. Let it play out. We're all going to get there at the same time no matter what. It's kind of like driving between stoplights. You can drive crazy and you just wind up right behind the guy that was speeding anyway. Just relax. We're going to get all there together. We'll link to both these pieces. Read them for yourselves, but keep that in mind. Biden's in a pretty good spot right now. You got to get the title off the champ by knocking him out. You're not going to do it by inertia. And the GOP has a bit of a mess in their primary to get through. We are blessed or maybe cursed to live in interesting political times for the next two years, folks. Don't worry. We'll get through it together. More Hertel right after this. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, here's a fellow we always enjoy talking to a great deal. Addy Goldshed down in New Zealand coming back. He's also the host of the Economic Review podcast. Real sharp fellow. Going to talk a little economics, a little regulation today. Addy, how are you, sir? Welcome back to the program. I'm great. Uh, always a pleasure to be on with you. I really appreciate it. Let, let's start some big picture stuff because you're down in New Zealand right now. You obviously follow American economics and politics quite a bit. I want to zoom out a little bit because American press, especially when it comes to economics, gets pretty insular and they, they kind of have their narrative lanes. Give me a big picture view of what's going on globally, economically. We know, you know, of course, there's things going on with China. There's the war in Ukraine that's got everything kind of moving around, especially in sectors like uh, logistics and uh, energy and things like this. We have what's going on in Africa. Give me a couple things that you're paying attention to globally, the big stories that people are missing because we get caught up in, you know, cost of living and things like that. Not that they're not important, but sometimes we miss the force for the trees on things like economics, don't we? I think the one thing that probably an American audience would be would be most surprised by are the similarities between the American economic climate and the economic climate that the rest of the world is dealing with. So if you're if you're used to watching American media, um, you know whether whether you lean left or you're, uh, you lean right, you probably have um, in mind a couple of causes for say the the high inflation rate, right? If you're if if you're on the the left, you might blame corporate greed. Um, if you're on the right, you might think this is Joe Biden's doing. You know he shut down the the gas pipelines and that's why gas prices are so high. But if you if you start to zoom out a little bit, you'll notice that. Europe's dealing with the same thing here in New Zealand. Uh, we're dealing with the exact same thing. We, you know, grocery prices are up, uh, gas prices are up. Joe Biden doesn't have anything to do with New Zealand, but we're dealing with all the same issues in almost exactly the same fashion um, as the United States. And I don't think that's that's uh, that experience is at all out of the ordinary. So zooming out, I think a lot of places have been hard hit by um, supply chain issues, by the Russia-Ukraine war being fought at the at the at the epicenter of all these crucial commodities. So I, th I think there are, are quite a few um, global problems that are, are affecting the world economy and the climate and the pain that a lot of countries are feeling. And I think that it's it's very hard um, at the moment to know, you know where, where the economy is going. I think a, a lot of central banks uh, here in New Zealand and I know in the US as well have projected that they're going to keep on raising interest rates and that you know the economic downturn is going to continue through 2023. Um, you know, I, I have no reason to believe that's not going to be the case. And, and it seems that every, every indicator so far points that's going to be the case, not just in the U S but around the world. Yeah. Eddie Gold joining us. What, what is it different that like, we've seen inflation a lot throughout history for a lot of reasons. You have countries like, you know, Turkey's having high inflation even before the current crisis because, you know, bad management, frankly, 
um, the the late forties, early fifties. We've seen it through the seventies. We saw it, of course, after World War One in Germany, which was catastrophic and led to another world war in a lot of ways. Inflation isn't new. Seeing it globally everywhere all at once, that is a little bit new. Uh, we haven't seen that as much. I know the world is globally economically integrated now. How different is it that this is a global inflation? Almost all countries are feeling this a little differently, not just one or two as compared to just when one, even a major country like the U.S. having inflation. That changes it a little bit, and that's a little different perspective, a little bit more unique, isn't it? So I think um, the the most fundamental um, rule in economics is supply and demand. So anytime you see prices going up, it's because either supply has gone down or demand has gone up. And in, in this case, I think for just about any country in the world, you can say that both of those factors have taken place at the same time. So whether it's Europe, whether it's the United States, whether it's Australia, New Zealand, wherever, I think a reality throughout the pandemic was that a lot of these economies were shut down. And in, in an effort um, to, to, to stop the economy from falling into a depression, um, governments around the world did pump unprecedented amounts of money into into the economy, there was a lot of new money printing. I know in for, there, there was like a 12-month period in the U.S. where that those 12 months, um, that 40% of all U.S. dollars ever created um, were created within those 12 months. And, and and the same thing here in New Zealand, right? We had insane um, amounts of weight subsidies and, and, and un, um, unemployment benefits, stimulus checks. All, all those things were reality here. Um, there were reality in Europe and everywhere else. So demand definitely went up. Um, people had more money. There was more money in the economy. And then the other side, there were definitely supply chain issues. So I think China, uh, which which manufactures a lot of a lot of the goods and services that we around the world all consume, stuck uh, for a very long time into their their zero COVID policy, uh, very very strict lockdowns, uh, very strict restrictions that did affect supply chains. Um, you know, lockdowns and 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 all sorts of other um, regulations in all, all different parts of the world did did bring the supply chain to a halt. And I think the, the effects of that are more catastrophic, uh, given how interconnected the economy is now, perhaps 200 years ago, if different parts of the world shut down, it wouldn't have, it, it wouldn't, the, the effect wouldn't have rippled through the world as it does today. Um, and, and so I think both of those factors coming together at the same time creates a perfect storm for inflation just about anywhere. Yeah, Ida Gold, for joining us. You just mentioned it. These are ripples. These, you know, economics, you know, a major country like China, like the U.S., when they have economic things happen, that, that ship turns real, real slow, right? That's not a speedboat. That's an oil tanker. China is now apparently backing off those COVID restrictions. They, they've seen what's going on. This is going to take a while to trickle through the rest of the global economy, including the supply chains, things like that. How long does it take for something like what China has done with their zero COVID policy to really come back to whatever they were doing before or to at least change from what they were doing? Are we talking months? Are we talking quarters? Are we talking years, do you think? Because we've seen in America, of course, it, you know, we're still feeling the effects of the COVID shutdowns. China was even more severe. What are you, what are you looking at economically here? Are you looking at a couple of quarters? Are you looking at a year or two? What do you think? Well, there's there's a lot of factors that that go into determining something like like an economic recovery, especially from something as severe as what we just experienced. Um, I think there's, I, I I don't think there's there's anyone in the world that can that can give you give you sort of like an exact timeline on you know six months from now everything will be back to normal. I think it depends a lot on China, the the way the Chinese government handles it. Uh, the Chinese government has a lot of fiscal policy, monetary policy tools at its disposal. Uh, I know, for for example, China keeps a, a very high uh, reserve ratio on its banks, and so cutting that reserve ratio would instantly release you know billions um, of, of yuan into circulation. And so there there are certainly certainly tools um, at at the the CCP's disposal should it should it wish to use them um, to to sort of speed up the process of economic recovery. But besides that, I think there's there's a lot of things you know the the Chinese. Um, the the property bust. I did, I did a piece on this a couple of months months ago. Um, there there's there are some some major issues with China's property market, which which is a large part of the economy. And so if that were to go bust, that could prolong the recession for for a lot longer than than any of us can can foresee at the moment. Yeah, Addy Goldshaw. Let's talk about those supply chains. You talk about supply and demand. Well, you got to get the <laughs> the supply and demand. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. We just had this rail strike issue in the U.S. You took a comparison to that to truck drivers. Now, there's a lot more truck drivers than rail workers, and it's a little bit different situation. 
but before we get into it, the core of your piece and the core of what you're talking about here is something that we've actually been debating quite a bit lately when it comes to things like the gig economy. And it's the legal definition and the economic incentives of independent contractors. This is not a new debate. This is something that's been going on for a long, long time and a lot of things. But this is one of those things where regulation and technology have kind of converged on the moment to really bring ahead on what is and isn't an independent contractor. Let's get the nomenclature right so that we're understanding what we're talking about here, especially when it comes to these truck drivers. This is an industry I work in. I know it very well. Independent contractors, it's not universally good or bad. Some folks like it. Some folks don't like it. But big businesses can abuse that terminology. Just work us through the terminology there on what independent contracting means, especially when it comes to these truck drivers. So I think in, in the conventional sense, uh, an independent contractor is somebody who, for example, think about it. If you if you hire someone to m mow your lawn, that person would be an independent contractor. They're not your employee. You don't you don't pay for their social security. You don't pay for workers' benefits. You don't pay FICA. Any of those things. They're independent. Uh, they do a job for you. They they tip, you know they work on their own schedule. All, all those things. Um, that that's what makes someone independent. And and most importantly of all, they're not they're not exclusively your employee. They they can go and mow my neighbor's lawns and, and ten other lawns as well. And so, I think that. That that sort of um, that's typically what we think of when we think of an independent contractor, and they're usually responsible for paying for their own expenses. They're responsible for paying for their own taxes and everything else. Um, and on the other hand, an employee is what what most people you know call call are classified as in their jobs. So, you know, if you if you work at at Walmart, for example, then you would be an employee. You work exclusively for one company. You wear the Walmart uniform. You work during the hours and, and in the manner specified by Walmart. You know, you you work for you're you're an employee of a company and, and all all the sort of characteristics of that. In the U.S., I think um, that that distinction at times gets gets very very muddy because a contract can overpower everything. So, um, you know, in the in the context of truck driving. Uh, a trucking company can make its its workers operate exactly like an employee. For example, you know, uh, you'll see the FedEx trucks, you'll see Amazon trucks. The people driving the them are wearing FedEx uniforms. They're wearing Amazon uniforms. They're working for that company um, exclusively. They're using the the company's trucks. They're working on the hours, the routes, the timings. Everything is specified by the company. They have no discretion over how they do their jobs, when they do their jobs, and yet. They're classified as independent contractors. Why? Because it says so on their contract that they signed. And I, I think um, what myself and a, a lot of other people would argue for is that there should be some actual meaning. The, 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 the term independent contractor and employee should actually mean something beyond I signed a piece of paper and that's the only difference. Yeah, Eddie Gulcher joining us now. Truck driving, where this really gets sticky, especially when it comes to those bigger companies that you're talking about. There's a difference between independent contractors and trucking because you have owner operators, which is exactly what it sounds like. They own their own truck. They own their own equipment. And then they take runs just like a freelance rider, like an Uber driver. They take clients or runs or contracts to go and do their stuff, but they own all their stuff. Where this gets a little predatory, in my opinion, but it can be good for certain individuals. Again, this isn't university is the lease owner operators. And that's where this really starts getting sticky and icky. And you started touching on that on your piece. And this is really where the legislation is nonspecific, but it really, really has to be. And it's really important for these workers. And it's really important for the economy because we saw like in California with the port situation where they didn't do a carve out for those lease owner operators, regulation just about wiped them out in one fell swoop just because of the language of legislation. Talk about that for a second, because that's one of those little points of minutia people don't talk about, but it had massive effects. Yeah, so I think the the fundamentals with the, the lease purchase model, um, do you lease a truck from the trucking company? So essentially, you know, like just like you would lease a car, um, you, you pay them a fee to lease the truck. You are then responsible for all the expenses that go along with the, the with maintenance. So, you know, oil changes, um, that kind of thing. 
um, you're responsible for for gas, any any other expenses related to the truck, really. And basically, you you get paid a fee for every load that you deliver. Um, and, and so you're you're sort of an an owner operator in that way. Um, the truck's not really yours. You can't take the truck home. Um, you can't use the truck for your own. You know, you can't you can't use the truck to drive for five different trucking companies. And you know, you can't you you don't have any of the flexibility that you would you would assume that someone who is just you know who had a truck and was just driving, um, you know, carrying loads that they wanted to. There there are certainly certainly people that do do truly have that kind of discretion. But more often than not, it's it's you know a trucker working exactly like you would expect any other trucker to, or you would expect any other employee to be functioning. It's just you know they're not getting any of the same benefits. They're not getting any of the protections that an employee gets. And and sometimes that situation gets so bad um, that at the end of the week you can work a full grueling week, 60, 70 hours driving trucks as a, as a quasi owner operator um, in a lease purchase program. And at the end of the week, you you owe your company money because something went wrong with your truck. Or you know there was an unexpected expense or whatever. Uh, all, all these things are, are sort of really a really really predatory cycle. Yeah, Eddie Gulch is joining us. This is being reflected in the trucker shortage in America. Uh, there was a couple things happened at once. Once is the, the logistics in America exploded with things like Amazon and small package delivery. It just changed how the industry runs. The second thing that happened is all the baby boomers retired, like we saw in a whole lot of other industries. A lot of those guys have been working 20, 30 years. They all retired in the same kind of 10 to 15 year window. It's those younger generation of drivers coming in that are susceptible to things like the lease model operators because, you know, they, the older guys, you know, they had some income saved up. They had, you know, means to do things like that. So they use those stats and show those stats to the young guys, but then they make them lease the equipment. That feels predatory to me. I know it's predatory. I worked in the industry some. I don't know that there's a nice, clean regulatory cure to that, though. I think some of that, though, is opening up more options for these drivers to have other regulatory options into an industry like trucking. But, and you touched in it on your piece, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Regulations, that is like its own world. It's a Byzantine regulation. Talk about it because I don't know that folks realize the trucking industry and the freight movement industry in America is one of the most regulated things. And it's not exactly efficiently regulated at that. So I think there's there's a lot of technicalities with how this industry is regulated. Uh, I think one of the the key aspects of it is that there are, for example, there's limitations on how long a, a trucker can drive. Um, the, that's that's probably the main one. Um, but then 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 what what tends to happen is that what companies will do is they'll say, okay, well, if you can only drive, let's say, twelve hours a day. Um, then what we're going to schedule exactly when you have to drive those 12 hours. And that can be, let's say, from midnight all the way through to noon. And if you didn't sleep during the day, if you don't feel safe to drive, whatever it may be, um, you still have to drive during those hours. So so it, it's, it might seem like a good idea in, in theory to say, we're going to mandate that you can only drive this many hours a day. Um, but what it ends up doing is encouraging a, schedule, a, a system where uh, of rigid scheduling. And that's not always always a great idea in an industry where you know you want safety to be paramount. You want drivers to be able to make common sense uh, individual decisions uh, surrounding when they feel safe to drive, when they feel too tired to drive, um, you know, and, and exactly when when they feel at their at their best and most safe. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. 
Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. This brings us back to where we started with the big picture economics, though. Incentives. How much is it? Let me rephrase it. How important is it for us? The average person doesn't know a lot about economics when we're trying to sort through all the graphs and all the data and all the numbers and the big ticket items to keep in mind that a lot of this is incentives driven. That's really a, a singular point in economics that is a little bit easier for folks like me to understand that doesn't know all the ins and outs. But it drives almost all this economic news. How important is it to focus on things like incentives when we're trying to discern economic news, whether it's big picture like the world economy or in a specific industry like this? We have to you you, you sort of got it um, right. Um, there's there's a, what economists would call a lemons problem in, in this industry where there's there's a, an asymmetry of information between the people who are signing up for these lease purchase programs or these independent contractor programs and, and what the companies are selling them. So the companies are well aware that this this is something that you know ninety plus percent of drivers are n- never going to turn a profit on. This is something without a, a financially viable exit path. This is something that is going to turn into a nightmare for the the vast vast majority of people who sign up for it. But it's still sold as dream. It's sold as you know own your future, be your own boss. All all these ads that I'm sure um, many of you will have seen. And and it's it's. If if you're unsuspecting, you don't know too much about the industry. You're looking to, um, you know, you're you're looking to make a living in the trucking industry. If you know you come from an area where trucking is ha- has this perception of being a, a solid blue collar job, then then perhaps you'll 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 look at that ad and say that sounds good. Um, let me sign up for it. Let me give it a shot. Um, you know, risk free. Um, what have I got to lose? And and all of a sudden you can find. Um, in, in a couple of months, you've lost your house. You've you've lost everything you have. You have no way to get out of this, and you were sold a, a false bill of goods, basically. And there's there's an asymmetry of information, and so I think the incentive structure at the moment is 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 there, there's nothing to stop um, trucking companies basically from from lying through their teeth and, and selling a false false stream to to unsuspecting truckers, um, and and so if we if we do want to fix the incentive structure. Um, it, it's not it's not some sort of um, you know very technical, very complicated problem. This is something that I, I wrap up the piece with um, is make their make sorry provide for a concrete distinction between independent contractors and employees. And this is something that we we do here in New Zealand. This is something that Canada does. Your your neighbor to the north. This is something that the UK does. There's a, a several point test to determine um, whether a trucker is an independent contractor or whether or not they're an employee. And so those there there could be like for example you know do you work exclusively for one company do you have any discretion over the hours that you work do you have any discretion over the routes um, do you have any discretion over what days you work and if there if, if the answer to all of those points is no then you have to be classified as an employee you have to be given all the protections and benefits of an employee if you get injured they have to you know you're you're entitled to to worker protections um, you know. If, your company should have to pay for social security, FICA, all the expenses. They can't dump all these things on you. You should be entitled to a minimum hourly wage. Um, all, all of those things that employees get, all the protections that they have, um, should apply to you if you function as an employee. And if you're truly an independent contractor, 
and that's, that model is working well for you, you're happy with it, you're making money, then there's no reason you shouldn't be able to continue as an independent contractor. You just actually have to be one, not just what a piece of paper says. Yeah, Eddie Gulch. Yeah. And the reason we keep bringing this up, and we touched on it a minute ago, but I wanted to reiterate it. Yeah, that's trucking. People are like, oh, well, that's truck drivers. We've got the data on the gig economy and how it's exploding. This independent contractor, what it is, what it isn't, who should have protections. Not all independent contractors want those protections because they want their independence. Getting some kind of legal definitions of these things is going to be really important because the gig economy isn't going to get any smaller. This independent contractor debate is going to continue. And if you're going to have economic viability, this is an area where regulation can really, really strangle uh, the growth and the technology and the quite frankly, the revolution in labor and people having some say in their own labor here, but still protecting people. This is a debate that's going to go on and it's going to kind of change how we do labor economics in the future, isn't it? So I think you you touched on a very important point there, which is the, the potential of overregulation to kill innovation. And that's that's a big danger. And you know, I, I'm I'm as much of a free market proponent as as the next guy. You know, I, I came up reading Milton Friedman and 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 Hayek and, and all those guys. And so, you know, I'm I'm 99 times out of 100, I'm a proponent of, of deregulation and, and pushing for as much deregulation as possible so we can make way for innovation so we don't stifle growth um, and, and all the all the, the cool technologies that make our lives so much better today than there were 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. Um, that being said, um, you know, with with the rise of the gig economy, I, I think, um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to stifle. I wouldn't want a situation where, you know, we're suddenly classifying Uber drivers as employees. We're classifying, you know, any any type of, you know, workers on Fiverr as as employees and making, you know, you know, and, and putting America in a position where, you know, all the, these worker protections are stifling those industries to the point where the gig economy completely collapses in on itself and becomes, you know, basically impractical. Um, that's that's why I would be in favor of a, a, a test, right? So uh, an Uber driver isn't isn't an employee. They can choose when they want to drive. Um, they can choose whether or not they want to work today or tomorrow or the day after. They they have all these choices. They have all this discretion. Um, they can work for for another company. They can be gig employees for fifty different um, you know Uber or similar similar platforms. And so in that case, they truly are independent contractors. Um, so so yeah, I, I think there is a, a a common sense way to do this that most developed countries around the world have already done that doesn't stifle uh, innovation, that doesn't stifle growth, but that does protect employees. And it doesn't have to be very complicated. Okay. Eddie Golcha, economics is complicated, though. That's why we bring folks like you on to explain them to people like me who doesn't understand them all that well. Give me one or two things you're watching that's going on right now that you're kind of paying attention to. Is it the inflation stuff? Is it a China or the war in Ukraine. What's a couple of things you're really paying attention to for not right now, but maybe the first of the year, the next couple of months, the next quarter, things you're trying to stay ahead of news wise, or you're watching for in the headlines that we can be watching out for as well. So I think the one thing that I'm, I'm keeping a lookout for is the, the feds projections of where the interest rate is going. I think that they, they typically, and, and, you know, if you're not in the U S if you're, you're most anywhere in the world, the central bank, your central bank will probably be issuing predictions on where they forecast the interest rate is going to be in the next six months or, or year or however far out, um, your central bank issues predictions. And so I think that's one thing to keep an eye on because those do change. Um, they, they not only predict, um, or they not only issue forecasts for how far it's going to rise, but also when they expect the interest rates to start falling again. And so if you're, for example, looking to buy a house, um, you you want to know where where the economic climate is going. I think that's that's sort of a a really good way to keep track of of what's going to happen in the next year or two. I think the the other key thing to keep keep track of is um, unemployment statistics. Um, you know, there there was in in most countries around the world a severe labor shortage. Um, you know, a lot a lot more job openings than there were than there were workers. Um, I, I know in New Zealand, for for every unemployed person. Um, there were two job openings. So that's that's how dire the worker shortage um, is here. And so I think one thing I will be keeping very close a very close eye on is what is the employment, uh, what are the unemployment statistics looking like? Is the economy returning to full employment? Um, and, and that that typically is a, a good sign that you know we're we're in recovery mode. Yeah, Eddie Goldsha, I always appreciate the conversation. You bring good insight. Uh, we'll be talking to you again, my friend. But until we get you back again, uh, let folks know what you've got going on, where they can keep up with you, where they can follow you until we get a chance to chat again. 
So if you like podcasts, uh, you can find my podcast. It's called The Economics Review. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Economics Review um, or on Twitter at Adi Goldshaw. Yep, Adi Goldshaw, another one of our great young voices contributor. He's down in New Zealand. Sharp fellow. Follow him. We'll definitely have you back, my friend. Thank you so much for the time today. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. back to Hertel. Don't want to let it pass over the holidays. This brutal winter storm, uh, cold weather over a huge chunk. The map was insane. Other than California and the very tips of Texas and Florida, just about the whole country had some kind of a cold snap to deal with. Up in Buffalo in that area, though, it's gone deadly. 26 dead in the Buffalo area as they get even more snow coming now, just pounding down. Uh, we want to make sure we make mention of this. Folks, disasters are going to come. Make sure you're prepared for these things. Now, things like this are that just turns into act of God type stuff. Hurricanes, floods, winter storms to this level. There's not a lot you can do about it other than prepare for the best. Uh, if you're down in the south on the coast, you want to prepare for hurricanes. California, you want to prepare for hur- uh, earthquakes. If you live anywhere that gets snow, you got to prepare for a really bad snowstorm. Uh, My mom, God bless her, uh, the trunks of our cars growing up, you only got about half the space because she overprepared for everything. One time we got a flat tire and uh, we didn't have anything to chalk the car with. So to this day, any of our vehicles that are up at mom and dad's house, you will find a brick in that vehicle somewhere to chalk the wheels in case you got to do a flat tire. Lessons learned, right? Now we laugh about it and tease mom a little bit because she packs like it's the apocalypse every time you go anywhere. But it's better to do it that way than the other way and not be unprepared. Um, make sure you do some basic disaster preparation around your home because you never know what may happen. You can have a tree fall out of the sky on your house. Um, changes of clothes, basic ability to get water, uh, some communication, something. Uh, the old school radios, battery powered so you can hear what's going on in case the Internet goes out. You never know what might happen down in North Carolina. Uh, remember the people went and shot up the substation, whoever that terrorist is needs to be thrown in prison, but it even took down the cell towers, took out everything. People couldn't even use their cell phones. Are you prepared for that? Have some kind of battery operated radio so you can tell what's going on in the world. Blankets, extra change of clothes, cold weather gear. Uh, if you're in a cold weather environment, water, if you're in a hot weather environment, lived out in Vegas. One thing we did is always make sure you had extra water in a car because you can get stuck out in Nevada in certain parts and there ain't nothing for a long, long ways. And if you don't hydrate, half a day will be very, very detrimental to your health. Be aware of your surroundings. These things in Buffalo and it's tragic. Uh, Obviously, if you can do some charitable giving to these folks as they rebuild, please do so. Be aware of what's going on around you and what may happen. Uh, The government has lists. There's all kinds of lists online of how to do a disaster preparedness kit? Do you have a bug out bag of some kind in your home? Uh, The thing you can grab and get out of the house on a moment's notice if you need to. If you don't, need to go put that together. Make sure you're taking care of yourselves, your loved ones, your household, your family, and your neighbors. Um, I know when we have hurricanes and things like that uh, in our little neighborhood, the houses around us, I have a widow that lives uh, one house across from me. Uh, me and one of my other neighbors, we always take turns checking on her, depending on the situation. Things like that. Find out who's around you. My kids know which neighbors to go to in case there's an emergency. Little things like this really, really matter. We can talk culture and politics, but mostly make sure you're taking care of yourselves and each other. Usually we do good news at the end of the program, but we wanted to end with that today. Make sure you're taking care of yourselves. Make sure you're prepared to keep you and your family safe, whatever the case may be. That'll do it for her tell. We thank you for joining us. Uh, we've been doing kind of sporadic over the holidays. One thing is I had about two weeks where I had just an insane travel schedule. I'm going to go through this week, get through the new year, hit the new year running. Uh, we do have some news coming up in the new year. We're anxious to share with you here soon. But until then, we're going to keep doing what we always do, turning down the noise of the news cycle, uh, getting to the information we need to discern the times we live in. Make sure you check out ordinary-times.com where I get to be one of the editors. Great writing there. My food website, a bunch of people wrote in. They didn't know I did this. Food, faith, 
family, those kind of stories, no politics, no nonsense. I don't even put critical writing on there. It's all positive stuff. Yonder and Home. It's a medium publication. Go to Yonder at Home on Twitter or just uh, Google Yonder at Home. It'll come right up. We'll link to it in the show notes. That's my food writing website. People have really been asking me about that and enjoying that. Make sure you check that out. And of course, Heard Tell, all the podcasting platforms. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. We'd love to have you on that platform. Uh, also got some news about our radio partner. That's going to be changing in the new year. That'll be coming up in a couple of days. Really excited about that. Make sure you subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening, YouTube, if you want to watch. We sure do appreciate you. It will always be free. doesn't cost you anything but a couple of clicks. If you could do us a favor, though, make sure you share us on your social media. Let folks know our program is worth their time. You can also check out all the extra stuff we do, the long-form podcasts that we do. we got some more of those coming up soon that we've been working on. Uh, also, the good talks, the breakouts of just the interview segments. We also have some special stuff on there. We did a December 7th piece a lot of people liked, a lot of you reacted to. Make sure you check that out. So, till we see you again, wherever you are, across the street or around the world, we hope you're well, we hope you are well-fed, and we'll talk to you again soon for the next Herd Tale. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church in Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.